Welcome to Plodcast, episode 12. Thanks for coming. Good to be with you. As uh, I'm recording this, it's just a couple of days after the horrific shooting in, in Las Vegas, um, where the the concert was the country uh, country concert was shot up by Stephen Paddock, and then he ended the that ten or fifteen minutes by taking by taking his own life. Um, and of course, uh, in the aftermath of this shooting, a number of people began uh, clamoring for gun control. Uh, our gun violence problem is out of control. Don't you see that we need to? Don't you see that we need to have gun restrictions, gun control, etc.? But there, there are a number of things to say about this. The first, at the just at the at the practical legal gun control uh, level, uh, one of the first ones would be one of the first issues would be uh, were the guns he used already illegal? In other words, if uh, if he got these guns on the gla- ba- on the black market, then then how is it possible to say that we we want him to have broken three laws instead of one law to do what he was going to do anyway? So uh, there are practical issues like that, but I'm I'm more concerned. I'm more interested in the underlying reasons why uh, debates about gun control break out at a high pitched level uh, while the ambulances are still ferrying people to the hospital. Why, why does this, this sort of thing immediately result in uh, gun control advocates loudly demanding that, uh, that we all recognize that decency demands that we accept some restrictions on guns, etc.? And uh, gun control opponents oftentimes answering vitriolically and in kind and and it's, it's like this uh like a fight breaking out at somebody's funeral uh and so i acknowledge the unseemliness of of this sort of political debate erupting at this um at a moment like that but uh that itself should be a uh, an indicator in other words what does the fact that this kind of debate breaks out whenever there's a shooting, whenever a school gets shot up or there's some sort of um, uh, episode like this, the, the fact that we immediately descend into this uh, face-off uh, across the country, that itself is part of the phenomenon. That itself tells us something. Um, and I'd, so I'd like to take a step back uh, and, and ask uh, another question. When I was mulling, I, I recently wrote a blog post about this, and, and as I was uh, mulling over what I was going to say, uh, the phrase, uh, they have no God within their thoughts, they do not have God within their thoughts, that phrase came uh, to my mind, and I didn't know where it was from. I knew it was in, this, in the Bible somewhere, and I knew uh, it was somewhere in the Old Testament, but I, so I looked it up. But before I looked it up, uh, I thought to myself, you know, I'll, you know, I'll bet that when I find where that phrase is, there is no God within their thoughts, that within just a few verses on either side, it's going to have some sort of comment on violence. So I uh, hunted the verse down, and it turns out it's from Psalm 10. So in Psalm 10, it says there is no God within their thoughts. And I was looking it over, and sure enough, just a few verses 
below that, it says, in secret or from secret places, they murder the innocent. There is no God within their thoughts. And then it says, from secret places, they murder the innocent. Well, the most obvious thing to me about this is that in a, we live in a secular, a secular society. We live in a, in a time and a place where corporately we have excluded God from our public life. And, you know, we haven't completely succeeded in doing this. God is still on our money and there's still God in God we trust still in the pledge. But, but those, the days of those uh, uh, vestiges are numbered if things keep going the way they're going. Uh, we have a very strong full court press from our secular society demanding that we formally exclude God from any public recognition. And uh, it was just recently suggested that, um, that Roy Moore, who was elected uh, to be the Republican uh, senatorial candidate from Alabama, was uh, radically unconstitutional because he was maintaining that our rights uh, come from God. And of course, if, that, if, if that's the case, then so is the Declaration of Independence, prematurely unconstitutional for declaring that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. If the state gives us our rights, then the state can take them away and blessed be the name of the state. If God gives us our rights, then the state cannot take them away. So um, what we've done is we formally rejected God corporately and collectively, and we're trying to expunge any remaining vestiges of the older order from our public, uh, from our public life, anything that we carved in granite a century or more ago. So you're allowed in this secular state, you are allowed to um, keep God within your thoughts as a private matter or as a matter of private association with other people who are keeping it to themselves as a private matter. In other words, you're allowed to believe in God, but it's got to be behind your eyeballs and between your ears. You've got to keep it inside your head, or you've got to go into a closed room with other people who think the same way and share those, um, and, and then you can share those sentiments in this private meeting. And they might add under their breath for now. But any attempt to say in public that our society needs to recognize God is going to be met with fierce resistance. You can include God privately in your own life and heart if you want. But the implication is you can also be an atheist if you want. You can also not keep God within your heart, not, not keep God within your mind, not keep God within your thoughts individually if you don't want. And that's precisely what uh, this Stephen Paddock did. God was not within his thoughts. That's why, from a secret place, he murdered the innocent. That's, but what's going on? Some people, some people want to say that uh, if we forget God, then we don't have a standard. Or if we forget God, we forget his, his law, and so we find ourselves sinning. And that's certainly where it begins. You know, if we forget God, we slide away, we slip away from his holy law. That's true. But the, the unbelieving heart always wants to, whenever, 
whenever the unbelieving heart hears about the exile of God or the death of God or the silence of God or the absence of God, uh, what the unbelieving heart sees there is a job opening. You never forget that the primal temptation was uh, you shall be as God, and that had to do with the knowledge of good and evil. Um, the, the Tower of Babel was thrown down because unbelie- the unbelieving heart wanted to ascend into the heavenly places. Then in Ezekiel, um, this is the passage that is traditionally um, applied to Satan, although I'm not, I'm not convinced of, of that. But it says that the cherub that was in the, uh, the Garden of God said that, that he would ascend the sides of the north, that he would, um, he would be above the stars of, he would be above the stars of God. Um, so what happens is when God is denied, the unbelieving heart always wants, uh, always sees that as a job opening. It always sees that as a vacuum that can be filled. And so what this man was doing was because God was not within his thoughts, he wanted to assume one of the prerogatives of deity. Uh, and and that is for that ten or fifteen minutes of shooting, where he was he was high and lofty and lifted up above, shooting down on all the people down below. Uh, he was being the Jehovah of wrath. He was being a god of wrath, visiting judgment on the people below. He was trying to be as God, and he was trying to wield one of the attributes of deity because God was not within his thoughts. And so then when he decided at the, at the very end to take his own life in this final act of defiance, he thought he was not only, not only did he think that he got to be the God of wrath for 15 minutes and you know, fulfilled his wish that way, but he thought he then topped it all off by evading justice, getting away from justice. But that's not what happened at all. As soon as he took his own life, he found himself in the presence of God. He went to meet his maker. God was not within his thoughts, but he was certainly within God's thoughts, and he encountered God himself. And he thought he was evading justice, but he wasn't evading justice at all. He entered into a condition of everlasting justice and nothing but justice. So here we are. Podcast episode 12. We've come now to my little book plug section. And um, in this episode, I wanted to um, I wanted to commend a book by H.L. Mencken. And a book by H.L. Mencken, and it's called A Mencken Crestomathy. And what a Crestomathy is, is a treasure chest. It's a, it's a collection of the best of, greatest hits of. And this Crestomathy was, uh, it was assembled by uh, Mencken himself, he went through his writings and he took a number of paragraphs or sections or short bits that he thought best represented his thought and his style and so forth on all kinds of subjects. And so it's basically an anthology of an anthology of observations on on uh, politicians, on uh, music, on art, on culture uh, by uh, by Mencken. Now Mencken was a uh, an unbeliever. Uh, he was um, a, a cheerful unbeliever. He he uh, he was really he was probably the responsible one for uh, how the Scopes uh, trial went or how it was received all over the country. He went down to Dayton, Tennessee, and reported on it, and and sort of colored the whole 
when it colored the whole thing. He was really hostile to fundamentalist uh, Christianity and, and so forth. And yet, he's one of my favorite writers. And, um, and in many respects, a, um, a model or a mentor that, I, that I've uh, sought to imitate and learn from. Uh, so in my own writing, I try to, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way, what would, what would I, I try to attain to this standard, what Mencken would have sounded like or what Mencken would have written had Mencken loved Jesus. So what would a Christ-loving H.L. Mencken have done? What would he have addressed? How would he have written? And um, and if he was he was a, he had a reprobate mind and heart, but he wrote he wrote like the archangel Gabriel. He he was just he was just a superb writing he a writer. He's a fascinating writer. Um, he is uh, he has a striking gift of comic but serious metaphor. So he. He writes um, in his polemical writing is just wonderful and devastating, and if you want to learn how to engage in um, engage in the public square as a stylist, I think he has um, a few uh, few rivals. He's just really good at it. Um, he, I remember he one time he he was taking apart a speech by. H.L. Mencken, H.L. Uh, Mencken. I'm talking about H.L. Mencken. He was um, he was taking apart a speech by uh, President Harding, and he said his speeches remind him of a string of wet sponges, of stale bean soup, of dogs barking endlessly at midnight. He said it's so bad that a sort of grandeur creeps into it. So that that's the kind of um, that's the kind of takedown that that Mencken is capable of. He's just really. He's just really, really good. So if I if I wanted to um, recommend a sort of like a series of writers who are uh, metaphorically gifted, if if someone's an, if someone is an aspiring writer and they want to read people who write purple, who write in gaudy bright colors, I'd recommend uh, P.G. Woodhouse, G.K. Chesterton, H.L. Mencken, and C.S. Lewis. I think if you read those four gentlemen, you're getting a great education on, on how to put things together, how to put words together. We come now to our, our hamartiology section, the study of sin. And of course, everybody in the world is, is a hamartiologist. Everybody studies sin. Some just are auditing and, and others are taking the course for credit. So, uh, the word adokimos, the word adokimos is rendered in, in our translations as reprobate or cast away or rejected. Uh, the word represents the condition of sin itself, but not a particular sinful action. Those who do not want to retain a knowledge of God in their thoughts are given over to a reprobate mind, Romans 1.28. This is the kind of mind that refuses to give thanks and which refuses to honor God as God, which, which uh, Paul describes in that section as being the two most obvious characteristics of the unbelieving mind or the reprobate mind. They refuse to give thanks, and they refuse to honor God as God, which is why when, whenever we're around unbelief, whenever we're around atheism, those are the two things that we ought, we ought to be 
making a point of doing as Christians. We should be thankful. We should be overtly and obviously thankful. And we should honor the godness of God. Because a reprobate mind doesn't want to have anything to do with either one of those things. Uh, Not surprisingly, this kind of reprobate mind is firmly established among false teachers. Jans and Jambres oppose Moses, and in the same way, men of reprobate mind mislead silly women corrupting the faith. That's in 2 Timothy 3.8. So, men of reprobate mind, uh, a sinful mind, a castaway mind, a rejected mind, uh, mislead silly women. False teachers will claim to know God, but by their works they deny him. They are abominable, disobedient, and with regard to good works, they are rejected, Titus 1, 16. So they are rejected, reprobate, cast off. But the elect, uh, the elect contrast with this, but the elect do not glide into glory on a conveyor belt. Uh, we are to pay close attention to the, to the question before us. We have to be careful not to use the false standards of the emotional pietist, but this does not mean that there are no standards to apply. Um, so uh, we, we don't want a facile or wooden pietism, but that doesn't mean that we go in for all, if, uh, an approach that's all nuance and, and subtlety and therefore no, um, no way of applying a rigid or, or uh, unbending standard. The Apostle Paul was careful to keep himself under a strict spiritual regimen, lest he find himself a castaway, a reject, even though he had preached the gospel to others. That's in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. So he, he holds himself under, he holds himself to uh, strict account so that he won't wind up as a cast-off, as he won't, he won't ri- wind up as a reject. Christians should be diligent to consider their own, consider their own true spiritual condition, testing themselves. Jesus Christ is in the Christian unless that Christian turns out to be a reprobate, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. So what does it mean to be cast off? Being cast off, being reprobate, being rejected means that you're Christless. So if Christ is in the Christian, then you're not reprobate. If Christ is not in the Christian, that is the visible Christian, the professing Christian, uh, then that Christian is reprobate. Paul also assumes that the Corinthians know that he, the apostle, and his company are not reprobate. He says that in verse 6. But if the Corinthians simply did what was right, Paul was willing to look like a reprobate. Verse 7. In other words, if they held to the standard in truth, if they held to the standard properly, Paul says, I don't, know, I don't, I don't care what it looks like. I care what it is like. I care, I care what it is, not what it looks like. So Paul was willing to look like a reprobate, but he was not wanting to be, in fact, a reprobate. In all of this, Paul is assuming the possibility of self-deception and the, the need for a scriptural heart check. You always want to uh, cross-check. You always want someone to look at the back of your head for you. Uh, a, la- a last example here is, is from Hebrews 6, 8. Land that is blessed by God but which produces thorns and thistles in response to the blessing of God is rejected land. It's reprobate land. It's a land that is cast off. So, adokimos is the word that is rendered reprobate, cast away, or rejected. And it's the condition of sin itself, not any particular sin, but the condition of being sinful. God in the time of the sickness, God in the dark.
You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.